Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus welcome everyone Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, this is an episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Snelling. With me is uh, Trey Jackson's number one fan, Matthew J. Harris. Uh, and we are uh, going to talk about some Missouri basketball. A uh, b- bit of a quick intro. Um, a little different than normal. So uh, we're just going to hop in because I feel like we've got a lot to talk about. We haven't talked for a while. But first, Matt, how are you? I'm just so so proud of my baby boy. When you've grown up... You've grown up. You've grown up. There, there are people of a certain generation who know that, and if you don't, you need to fix it. So there's actually, uh, and you've been in my office at my house, so you, you know the layout. Uh, there is a Swingers poster um, in this room. Oh, I know you know. So, uh, I was a big fan of that movie. Um, <clears throat> for those that don't know, John Favreau is uh, not just the guy that that started the MCU, but uh, also did a little independent film called Swingers back in the mid-90s, so check that out. 
Um, talking about Mizzou basketball, which we weren't, but now we're going to, uh, we have not recorded since before bragging rights. So following uh, a win at Temple um, and then the bragging rights win, Mizzou blows out Chicago State. Uh, everybody is on Team Conzo. We're all happy. We're all cheering. Uh, they go to Rupp and lose and I would say about how we expected the game to go. <laughs> Uh, come home and face a Tennessee team that I think everybody kind of thought was sort of right for the picking and uh, and drop that game as well. And so now everybody is on the uh, the fire conzo train. Uh, so should Mizzou beat Florida this weekend, are we going to hire or, or keep Conzo and, and, and ride this train to the end? Are we going to fire him? I'm starting to lose track, Matt. I don't know. I just wish people would. I mean, I, just, I know that he can't be fired this year contractually. <laughs> so, all these feelings. Correct. <laughs> all these feelings that people have really don't matter. So, they can feel however they want to feel. Uh, legal terms have, have prevented the option that they might want. So, they should just uh, cool their heels and just get through the rest of the year. Um, and, and I think even like after next year, if they fire him before like May 1st. Uh, they owe him like a six million dollar buyout. So the likelihood is, um, no matter what happens the rest of this year, there's probably two more years of uh, of Conzo ball. So uh, for, for for and and they're also paying for a football staff too. So um, hey, that 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 new uh, people the, might the pre- new ESPN contract might might help uh, settle some of those debts. They'd like to have a a little bit of a front. A front loan on that they probably were like hey we'll get you back uh, if, you, if you float us some cash so uh-huh. there was basketball that was played um and I, I you know i feel like a lot of this is is i don't necessarily call predictable but at this point like missouri is who they are right um there are going to be nights where they shoot the ball better uh there are going to be nights where they don't uh, if their opponent is shooting on a night where they're not, they're probably going to lose. Um, particularly now that you're into league play. Uh, and Missouri is kind of starting out league play with a five-game stretch that is really pretty tough. Um, yeah. I think that's probably the reason why people are a little bit more on edge is, yeah, you expect to go to Kentucky. You expect to lose that game. Um Maybe you were hoping that it was closer. Uh, didn't happen. Um, they started out well. Uh, for anybody that didn't watch the game, um, Kentucky kind of made a run. I actually think it was the second run uh, after Missouri, I think, cut it to three in the beginning of the second half. I think Watson hit a three to kind of cut it to like two or three points. And then Kentucky just went on uh, a memory serve. Once it was like a 16 to four. 18 to four kind of run. And, and that was what I thought was the, the backbreaker. Cause, uh, um, you know, you, you get down double digits, uh, and, and, and rub, it's just, it's hard to come back. And, uh, and that's what happened. Um, and so you kind of turn the page and you're looking at Tennessee. So Tennessee is coming in, they're coming off, you know, back to back losses. 
four of their last five, uh, not playing well offensively. They've got Lamonte Turner uh, out for the season. Uh, Jordan Bowden is, uh, you know, mired in a shooting slump. Um, basically, the worst case scenario for for the Vols this year. Um, and yet they come in. Well, what's funny is is they played uh, LSU to open SEC play at home and actually shot like fifty percent from three and went went into the uh, um, went into halftime. I think like nine of thirteen from three and were ahead of LSU and it was looking like they were gonna they were gonna win the game. Um, so this is a team that I mean, regardless of kind of that some of their struggles offensively. Uh, they do shoot the three well. And the, I think the, their problem was they don't do a lot else very well, um, but that didn't really matter against Missouri, a team you know playing without Jeremiah Tillman uh, and, and not, a lot of, uh, not a lot of help on the inside without Tillman. Ironically enough, they actually got you know decent production from, from you know Mitchell Smith, Reed Nicko, and, and our boy, Trey Jackson. Yeah, uh, Tennessee's Tennessee's about the NCAA average jump shooting wise. I mean, thirty three percent isn't something that you normally write home about, but you know they weren't mired in you know the depths that Missouri has been from deep. Um, you know they've E Pons has been a a sneaky kind of shooter this year, and they got him last night. They got him with some open looks last night. Um, Josiah Jordan James, uh, you know, kind of was coming in about an average shooter. Um, the ironic thing is with Lamonte Turner out, you know, they lost a guy who creates a lot of offense, but they also lost a guy who had been dragging down their shooting percentages. They've got, you know, three guys, you know, and Bowden and Pons and James who can kind of stroke it a little bit. And, you know, they shot the ball well. Um, I think down the stretch, um, obviously not having Drew Smith on the floor hurt Missouri offensively. Um, as you and I have talked about, you know, the offense, you know, without Tillman on the floor and if jumpers aren't falling is, is kind of, you know, just dependent on Drew Smith making something happen out of high ball screens or late in the clock. And, you know, they didn't have that option last night. Um, uh, Xavier Pinson has a couple looks from close range, uh, got called on a charge on one. I, I actually didn't get called a charge, but got a bad angle. Missed a shot, had a shot blocked in transition. Um, you know, didn't make some plays down the stretch. They had some turnovers that, you know, let Tennessee get some transition opportunities and runouts. And suddenly, you know, a, a close game had stretched to 10. And, you know, this team isn't built to come back, you know, from 10 points down in, you know, five minutes. They just don't have the personnel to do that. So it's, I think, what last night sort of reinforced again. And you and I talked about it a little bit before we came on air. You know, when you're playing, you know, defense first, rebounding is a primary concern and a controlled pace and low possessions, you really kind of shrink the margin for error. Um, And when you're as inconsistent as Missouri is offensively, you know, you can get in a situation where a tight game gets out of hand pretty quickly. And I think that's kind of what happened down the stretch for them last night. You know, Tennessee had a good stretch around the first and second half, and they went on a 12-0 run, and then kind of that sprint to close out the game when Missouri, you know, didn't really have much, you know, many proven offensive creators on the floor. But for, you know, I think about 30 minutes of that ball game, it was pretty even. But 
as I've said, Missouri just doesn't have the consistent kind of production offensively, you know, to overcome 10, you know, bad minutes of basketball. Well, and, and yeah, you throw in not having who is probably the most, uh, maybe not your best offensive player, but certainly the most creative, uh, and Drew Smith, a guy that is capable, um, and, and probably the guy who's best at running the offense, uh, you know, he fell out with like six or so minutes to play and, um, and not having that guy on the floor and not having Jeremiah Tillman, um, you know, I realized that there's a lot of sort of positivity among Mizzou fans, you know, for Xavier Pinson and some of the things that he does. But, um, I mean, he's still very, very prone to a lot of mistakes and, and some freelancing outside the offense and, and, you know, kind of struggling from that point to kind of get his teammates involved. And when you sort of have all those sort of factors all chunked together, then you're looking at, uh, you know, in a low possession game and in a team that you're fairly evenly matched, um, you know, you get, you get a result like that. And then one of the things I think I kind of pointed out in study hall, and I kind of really believe this is, I mean, Tennessee's best players played well. So you had Josiah Jordan James, who I noted was plus 20 when he was on the floor. Uh, you had Bowden, um, who was plus 10. And those guys, those guys are very clearly the, Tennessee's best players. Um, you know, Fulkerson is a hard worker, but he's not a great post guy. Like he's, he's a guy who's going to bring energy and kind of throw his body around and kind of makes a few things happen here and there. Um, but that team is, is, is going to rely very heavily on, on both James and Bowden. And, um, and on the flip side, you know, Missouri's, uh, trifecta was Mitchell Smith, Reed Nico and, and Trey Jackson. And, um, that's a, that's a bad sign when, and I don't mean this as like to disrespect Mitchell or Reed Nico or, or even Trey Jackson, who, uh, you know, we have been pleading for more clock for him. Um, it, but it's, it's problematic when guys that you need to play well, aren't playing well. And guys that are supposed to be there for support roles are dominating your box score. Um, I give credit to, to, you know, Mitchell Smith for, for playing as hard as he does and, and, and being willing to, to really give up his body, uh, to make things happen on the floor, but he's playing 30 minutes a game. Uh, and, and he's playing more than really anybody at this point. Um, which to me is more of an indictment on the rest of the roster than anything about Mitchell Smith. Like I thought kind of going into the system or into the season that, that Smith was going to be a guy that was maybe in the back end of the rotation, you know, are we going to see him play? Yeah, possibly, you know, eight, uh, nine, something like that, uh, off the bench. But, but he, he's not a guy you expected to be, uh, a primary part. Uh, and if he is a primary part, and that's a problem uh, trickling down the rest of the roster because it we kind of know what we, you get from Mitchell and and Mitchell is is again like he's done a really great job I think of buying into what what Coach Martin is selling him um, you know he rebounds hard he defends his butt off 
he scraps, he does all the things that you want, but I mean, he, <laughs> they're throwing the ball to Mitchell Smith on the post and a, a shot that we already know is not an efficient shot, which is, you know, any, anytime you're throwing the ball to a post player uh, on the low block, and now you're throwing it to a guy with not a lot of experience there, um, but who is even l- less efficient than probably a, a regular post player, uh, and asking him to go make a play. Um, and it, it's not causing the defense to do anything because they know they can guard him one-on-one. And so these are like all the things that are happening on the, on the court that are making Missouri worse than they should be right now. Um, and, I, you know, I think that that when you see those three guys at the top of the the game score, like that's why you lost. You had a home game against a team you should beat, and the guys who were providing the most uh, like help for you know the scoring and all that were guys that should not be doing that sort of heavy lifting, and and that's what got them into that mess. Yeah, I mean they've. You know, you pointed out in the last study hall that, you know, Mark Smith is shooting 21% from three-point range against high major teams. And, you know, that number didn't, you know, move substantially in this one. Uh, You know, he posted an 84 offensive rating. You know, when I look at what Mark's done this year against, you know, high major teams, I'm going to go take a look at it now. Um, This is what he's done against Tennessee, offensive rating of 84. Kentucky, 83. Uh... Illinois, zero. Uh, Oklahoma, <laughs> 105. But as you noted, that's because he hit three kind of garbage time threes in that game. Butler, 42. Xavier, 69. Like the guy who, you know, last year was one of the sneakily one of the most efficient players in the SEC. You know, it took, you know, three late threes with the game decided against Oklahoma to get him over barely over average for an offensive rating, which is a hundred. Other than that, he's been kind of stuck in the eighties or in, you know, the sixties it's, and that, that's a problem. That That's a real problem. Yeah, He, he was, uh, you know, at the start of SEC play last year, um, these were his offensive ratings before he got hurt. It was one Oh six. 131, 118, 116, 127. Which is solid. It's, those are really solid numbers. Um, I mean, there, there isn't really like a breakout. Like a breakout game, single game for offensive rating is probably going to be more like the, you know, 1-6s, 1-7s, 1-8s. But you can live with a guy that's that's in the, the 100s. Uh, it's, it's the fact that he's not hitting those numbers uh, and... You know, he's uh, four of 12 in SEC play from three, which, you know, is, is decent. But it's, it's yeah, like that's not what we expect from Mark Smith. That's not what you need from Mark Smith. Uh, and, and so it's just like he's a, another guy that kind of coming into the, the season, like we knew, we knew there was going to be some possible rust. But it's look. It looked like late in the in the uh, non conference play that he kind of knocked the 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 rust off and was was playing better, was shooting better, uh, and it looks to have regressed along with you know the rest of the roster. Yeah, I mean the the real 
the real hang up here is that you know Torrance Watson and Mark Smith, you know their physical builds are different, and you know Mark's a little bit more inclined to drive the ball. But I think as you've said to me, and and I agree, they're kind of the same profile. They're catch and shoot guys, like they the you know sixty to seventy percent at minimum of their shot attempts are going to be catch and shoot jumpers, and you know if they can't provide you that or they're not able to, or they're, you know, cloaked or teams are doing a good job tracking them or closing them down, you know, what they give you suddenly goes to zero with a, with a pretty quick velocity. And that's what's happened here. So, and the thing is we're now in conference play where teams know these guys, they scout, you know, they saw them last year. The scouting reports are out. They know what these guys do. They're going to pay them attention. And so the question now is, can they find a way to produce, you know, kind of, you know, th- you know, that's what they're here to do. And, you know, it's, if those two aren't going to, you know, give, if those two are going to be stuck in the low nineties for offensive rating, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a slog. The offense isn't going to have the spacing it needs, you know, and, you know, without Tillman on the floor right now, they're going to be crowded even more because there's no, no punishment for, you know, kind of just solo coveraging the block. You know, teams are going to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of, you know, attacking Drew. So guys have to start hitting shots to loosen things up. And if that's not happening, it's going to be a slog for the next three weeks. And it's coming at a time when the schedule doesn't do them any favors. So it's, <laughs> I think as you wrote, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how creative the staff can be. We've seen Conzo um, in his first year get kind of creative. We saw him last year kind of figure some things out and, you know, find a way to, you know, until Mark got hurt to have a team that was kind of tacking towards the NIT with not a lot there and some young guys. And so, you know, the the challenge for him is, you know, can he Rube Goldberg this? Um, and so far, you know, the results haven't, necessarily been encouraging so and it doesn't get any easier with florida coming in doesn't get any easier at all yeah and follow that up with two road games mississippi state isn't particularly playing very well Um, bama is bama's playing well um both those teams played tonight and alabama won by 20 they hammered them yeah it was 21 or two i think was the final 21 was the margin it was yeah scored 90 points (laughs) and that like Mississippi State will be tolerable on the road because you know Howland's a defense first coach you know they're not playing at a blistering pace but Bama's gonna be Bama pushes the ball and they're looking to get out and go they take a ton of threes it there there's potential for it to kind of go I think the way that the Auburn games have gone the past couple years where just Missouri can't keep the tempo in check. Shots start dropping in over them, and their offense isn't built to come back. So the, the Bama game is is one that sort of looms out there that makes me jumpy as to what could happen there. Uh, that that one's got the potential, I think, to get sideways. Uh, they, they do get a reprieve after that with Texas A&M, who um, held Ole Miss to 47 points. I actually, I think that came on right after 
the um that was the nightcap the mizzou Mizzou game yeah and so i I was kind of started to watch that i'm like why am i watching this slop because i think it was like six to four after 10 minutes i'm like i gotta get this off yeah um i i l came downstairs and she was like why are you doing this to yourself she just looked at this (laughs) and she didn't even she like looked at the score and then looked at me she didn't even like watch a single like possession so i i'm there with you that I didn't need to see the number fourteen team. So sometimes you just don't change the channel, like you know, like I was. That's what I told her. I was like, I was I like, was, I was working on stat stuff. I didn't like change the channel because you need to. This isn't healthy. So, yeah. um, that was, yeah, that was a that was not good viewing. It was a final score of fifty-seven to forty-seven. Um, for those that are curious, it is Alabama twenty and not nineteen fifty-three. We have a shot clock yeah. and everything. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I almost said Alabama, but Texas A&M um, currently 159. They are the lowest ranked SEC team, and uh, Ole Miss went on the road and lost that game. I'm it's kind of embarrassing. Um, A&M does have a decent win on their schedule. They they did beat uh, Oregon State. Who <laughs> I don't know if you just saw like Oregon State went on the road and beat Colorado. Like this this whole basketball nobody's season nobody's good. Just, Nobody is it's good. nuts. Nobody's. Meanwhile, Duke is about to lose to Georgia Tech. What? They were up by eleven in that game. What? Never mind. Uh, I just got ESPN alert. Every, everybody's up bad. One with six forty to play. <laughs> this is the thing that I we, we're going to continually say. Everybody is bad, which is good for Missouri because it means that the like everybody's just kind of clumped together, and it's. I think that's why it's just going to make people go crazy this year because there's no like hierarchy in the sec like yeah kentucky's got a bunch of dudes and auburn can play well on any given night and bama's on a run right now but like i look up and down the sec there's just no team i trust none no like it's gonna be which team is like playing well it's gonna be a, a a tight pack in whichever team is playing well in the final month Hell, even the final two weeks might take it. You know, I don't think anyone's going to run away and hide with with it this year. And like we say that, and like Florida's playing better. Like I, I've if people like follow me on Twitter all they know that I am not a, a Mike White. Uh, I'm not in the Mike White fan club, but their offense has gotten a little bit better. They seem to be figuring some things out. I, but I don't know if Florida is going to like keep that going for any more than like a week or two. Like that, that's just where we are. Like they look good right now, but they could regress just as quickly as anybody else. So it's well, and so much of this, you know, and I, th- I think we've actually talked about this on previous pods, but I, you know, I think so much of it comes down to the overall level of play in college basketball, which is down. Uh, causing offensive efficiency to be down. You know, I think the defensive numbers look good. You know, and and so uh, a friend of the pod, Eric Fawcett, um, who is a really great writer for uh, Gator Country and does a lot of really cool stuff for them, uh, asked if he could send me some questions. And, um, you know, one of the things he was asking is just like, you know, like kind of tell me about Missouri's defense. And, and, And I was trying to explain that, like, I realize that Missouri has a good defense, but I don't know if Missouri's defense is as good as the overall level of play 
is just down. Like, I don't know that this Missouri defense is that much better than we've had the last couple of years. Um, or is it just that, like, everyone kind of talked about Missouri's elite three-point defense kind of coming into uh, the last couple of games. Like, oh, like, yeah, they're they're really defending the three well. I mean, nobody is making three-point shots. I realize Missouri is at, like, the bottom of this list. Like, you know, they're one of the teams that are shooting the worst. Uh, but throughout college basketball, like everybody is, is just has these horrific shooting numbers. Um, and so if you can just find a way to kind of get in a little bit of a groove, uh, you know, and, and maybe that number was 48% last year, or maybe that number is like 38% this year. If you can just hit 38% from three, the rest of the, uh, the season, I mean, Missouri's probably going to find themselves still with like 10 wins at that point. Uh, just by simply shooting the ball with some consistency. Yeah, I mean, overall efficiency is down basically four points per 100 possessions this year. It's the lowest since 2003. It's the worst offensive season we've seen in two decades. So that's, I mean, that's that explains, I think, a lot of what we're seeing here. There's just, across the sport, offenses are worse. Um we thought that, you know, I wrote this two weeks ago. I thought that offered Missouri an opportunity because if they could, because of just given the bent of their coaching staff, you know, you thought that, okay, if we're going to shave four points off the median basketball team in the sport and you've got a coach who lives, eats, breathes, sleeps defense, maybe your offense isn't great, but it should be enough to help you hold serve. And, you know, mm. at least, and this is kind of gets back to why I think the Tennessee game is frustrating is uh, road games are going to be hard to get this year. And, you know, harder, I think, than usual. I think, you know, things, at least when I've looked at Kim Palm, are skewing really heavily, more a little bit more so towards home teams. So you've got, right. you, you've got to take care of business at home. Even if it's a team like Tennessee where maybe they'll shoot a little bit better you know, it's just, it's part of the deal. You can't give up a game in the standings, especially to a team that's probably going to be in the same region of the standings as you. You know, this, mm-hmm. that, this isn't just a, you know, a bad loss to start conference play. This could come back in March if Missouri's, you know, sitting in the same, you know, fighting for a, you know, a seed spot in the SEC tournament to get an easier path. So it's, right. it's, there, there's some ramifications for it. Um, same point in time you know florida is still gettable they're they're a one point underdog at home but that's a toss-up still and you know florida doesn't shoot the ball you know particularly well um you know we'll see kind of what they do coming into the weekend we'll see kind of how you know they're trending in terms of shooting but it's still a it's still a game that even you know if missouri looks bad on tuesday or, or on a they still got a reasonable shot to pick it up on Saturday. So it, it's going to come down to, you know, kind of what happens at the margins again. It'll be interesting to sort of see how the, the Florida game goes. Um, this is a game I think we're not having, you know, Jeremiah Tillman. It's it's going to hurt them because, you know, Florida is a, a big athletic team. And even though they don't have like a ton of interior size, um, I mean, they they don't they're not out there like rolling three or four seven footers, but you know, like Kerry Blackshear is a 
big, strong guy, rebounds the ball really well. Um, Keontae Johnson, who will play some minutes at the four, uh, isn't super tall, but is really athletic and really strong. Um, Omar Payne has been playing uh, a, a good number of minutes. He's a he's an athletic 6'10 kid, freshman. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see sort of how Missouri manages the, the front court rotation. I certainly hope they start to use Trey Jackson a little more. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, this is one of those games where I think I think you can hold Florida down on their shooting. And if they're able to do that um, and just kind of get a couple guys to, to actually, you know, and I'm going to call out specifically like Mark Smith and, and Torrance Watson, like those guys need to make some shots. Um, we need probably two to three threes from each of them. And if that doesn't happen, like I just I don't see a path for Missouri to win. Like like M- Mizzou has to hit three pointers uh, for them to have a chance in this game. Well, the what's going to be interesting about this one is Florida doesn't go very deep, but how they use they only go maybe six seven deep if you're going to count Trey Mann in there. But they do they basically just rotate Johnson Payne and uh, I'm trying to think. Who else they have? Blackshear. Blackshear a little bit, but they, they shuffle, they'll even shuffle Lewis a little bit. They'll shuffle all three of those kind of guys around, but they kind of they kind of use the combo for it as a linchpin spot. So they can get some interesting lineups out of that without having to take Blackshear, Locke, and, and Nimbard off the floor. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how they decide to handle that combo forward spot. Um, interestingly enough, too, I think the one thing that's going to happen is is that they <laughs> Kerry Blackshear is not as efficient on the post this year, but Missouri doesn't have you know a really sturdy post defender, so I think he's going to be able to get to what he wants to do, which is on the right block play over his right shoulder. He's also a guy that I think can cause problems for Missouri because you can pick and pop him a little bit, and Nimbard is good enough you know on pull-up jumpers and drives that you can't just sink your big on him so if you get out and try and hard hedge him or ice ball screens with nimbard you can just pop black shear and he can knock in a jumper so ball screen coverage with nimbard is going to be tough tough for them to do they can't just sit back and keep him in front because he can score pretty well you know from about 12 feet on off the bounce they can't stunt too far in. You know, they can't try and close down drives because Locke can catch and shoot. And this is what I was trying to get to. Keontae Johnson's really added a nice ability to kind of at least be a respectable spot-up shooter that you can't just sag off and play him as a driver. And so they've got the ability now to really sort of put you in some binds where they can high ball screen, they can pick and pop. You can't stun in to really kind of help Nimbard. He can pick and choose where he wants to go with the ball. And so it, the question really is, what's Missouri going to try and take away on the defensive end of the floor? And so that, that's what I'm sort of interested in, is even if they you know, mob Blackshear in the post, they've still got to try and handle ball screen coverage with a guy who can do a bunch of different things out of those, out of those looks. So you know, who are they going to deploy on Nimbard? How are they going to try and handle those situations? 
And then on the other end of the floor, Florida is going to be aggressive in trying to stop on is going to you know play the ball a little bit aggressively. They're going to try and stop the ball from swinging. They're going to play on the line, up the line a bit. They'll overplay a little bit. This is a game where I think if you're looking to try and find and steal some points, having Kobe Brown and having Javon Pickett, you know, looking to be aggressive on overplays and cutting off the ball is going to help them. Both those guys have shown, you know, at times this year, they can be really good when they get moving without the ball. And I think that's going to ease some pressure on Drew. I think it can at least, you know, punish the defense a little bit and at least buys you some extra buckets if jumpers aren't dropping. So that's kind of what I'm looking for at the other end. How active is Missouri going to be against a little bit of ball pressure to try and cut and try and make some things happen? Or are they going to you know, stand around and sort of just you know wait for Drew Smith to create stuff for them? Because I don't think that's going to work. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they manage Nimbard and how they try and you know steal some points offensively. Steal some points is uh, certainly... <laughs> Uh, certainly what they're going to have to do a lot kind of going forward. Um, I realize that we have kind of been off uh, for a while, but we are going to kind of get back into a more weekly uh, podcast. So I don't know how much longer I want to take this. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we got out of here? No, not really. I mean, just last thing I guess is I could kind of see this going the way of the Kentucky game even if it's in home because they've got Florida can get to the foul line. Um, they can, they generate a ton of free throws. Missouri fouls a lot. Um, if Missouri gets into its bench, I'm not sure the options are any better there, especially if Blackshear's running up the foul count down low. So it'll be interesting to see can Missouri kind of play sound defense without, you know, giving Florida chances to, earn easy buckets of the line or really get into some lineups that aren't going to give them an opportunity. So that's kind of the last thing I wanted to say was they got to play a little bit cleaner defensively. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll come back again next Wednesday uh, after the Mississippi state game and be able to review both Florida and MSU. Um, I don't know that I remember Missouri playing well at the hump. Um, Outside of maybe like the first year in the SEC, I think they went down there and beat the pants off of a really, really, really awful Mississippi State team. Um, I don't know. You remember that game? Vaguely. That was a yeah. That was a Rick Ray special. That was that was when Rick Ray was a guaranteed W for everybody in the conference. Those are rare. Yeah. So that was Mississippi State was two fifty six in Kempom that year. Uh, yeah. Final score was seventy eight to thirty six. Yeah, that was a wolf. Rick Ray was a good guy, though. Um, not not necessarily adept at you know coaching basketball in the SEC, but good guy, nice guy. Um, but everybody got a win off Rick. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they were actually at the time two twenty nine and ended uh, two fifty six. So. Missouri actually caught him on an, on an upswing before uh, they 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 descended down the rest of the schedule. Um, so yeah, so there, there's a couple really really difficult games. Um, I think it's going to be important for Missouri to, to to try to get a win against Florida. I don't think you can count on uh, even though I think Mississippi State is a team where you you can go down there and you can win. Um, 
I'm still kind of waiting for, uh, like, like I said before, I, it's, it's been a while since Missouri's gone down there and played well. So uh, it's possible. Let's say maybe, um, hopefully not likely, that uh, that we're back next week talking about own 4 um, You know, but this is a situation where, granted, you don't want to start like that. I think it's important at some point for Missouri to kind of get a win within these first five games. Um, you know, but there is a, uh, a lightning of the load kind of down the schedule, but it, it's going to be important for them to, um, to, to get a win here. Got to get a win. Got to start playing well. Got to start shooting the ball well. And, uh, and hopefully they can do all those things and we'll, uh, we'll see. We're going to talk about the outcomes <laughs> either way. So, um, this is we'll, we'll we'll just hopefully it it doesn't go off the rails is because uh, it'll it'll be nice to you know not have to worry about talking about recruiting until the season's over but um, yeah there's there's still a Josh Christopher that um, apparently is trending towards Michigan now uh, which I, didn't we did we talk about that on the air no no we have not um, but. Okay, like I can't remember if we actually talked about it on the pod, but we had talked about it privately. Oh, I, I mean, I've kind of thought that Michigan. Michigan was probably the best place for him overall. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think they're winning and they're winning. Um, now, Jawan Howard. Everybody else on his list is not. <laughs> like Missouri is like the second best team on his list. Uh, like UCLA is terrible. Arizona State's terrible. Michigan's pretty good though. Yeah, and and they've got a monster class they're putting together there. So I mean, if if you were to like, I mean, and Jawan Howard has NBA experience. You know, he's done a good job, sort of managing the transition from John Beeline. You know, if you got to go spend a year somewhere, go do it with a guy who'd been who's been on NBA staffs and has a bunch of other dudes coming in. You know, I could. I'm not going to begrudge him. That would be the logical thing to do. Uh, we still want we still want him to come to Missouri because I think it'd be fun to watch him play and oh yeah and, you know talk talk about the kind of like guy that Missouri really needs is just like oh we need we need points give Josh the ball like that's that would be nice and his personality um, I think you and I have talked about this like just his personality and just the kind of person and you know kid he has is he is is you know, would be fun just to have around you know he he's got you know. You know, his personality is you know just unique. He he loves sneakers. He loves Stranger Things. He's outgoing. You know, I just think it'd be a good you know presence to have around the program too. So that would always be that's the other thing. Good locker room guy too. Yeah, if you've ever like seen like Nicodemus Christopher in interviews and on the sideline and all that stuff, like it's that 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 bone is something that is in that family. Like they all. <laughs> are uh there to have a good time they seem like really great people uh really in for the team and, and loving all that so i think it'd be good it'd be fun to have him. uh hopefully he prolongs it and Collins is able to close that because they certainly need somebody who can who can score the ball uh so with that said uh this has been a wrap on season three episode 13 of dive cuts Again, we'll be back next week uh, on Wednesday. Um, 
I think there's some football podcasts in discussion, so there's not a whole lot to talk about right now, but there will be soon. I think signing day is going to be coming up, so uh, there will be football content at Rock Nation. Uh, be checking that out. Matt and I will be back next week. So until then... <laughs>